In the beginning, famous words from the, the first book of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the story goes that God brought forth life to this great, big, wonderful world that we call home. Out of nothing, just by the sound of his voice, he brought forth all of creation. Now, if you don't consider yourself a, a church person or you just don't buy into this whole creation timeline that, that uh, churches traditionally talk about, don't click off the video yet. Don't leave us yet. Stick with us for a moment. I'm not here to, today to try to convince you of one position that's uh, right or wrong. But what we're going to talk about today are the grand plans that are laid out for all of humanity. We're going to be talking about purpose. And I think we all want to feel like we have purpose in our lives. As you look at the world around you, you're probably keenly aware that not everything seems to be right. Not everything seems to be just. And there's a lot of destructive stuff that is happening all over this great globe of ours. But what if that wasn't the way the story started out? What if when humanity entered into the picture, we had a right and healthy relationship with the world around us? We had a, a healthy and tight-knit relationship with, with one another, and we had a full relationship with the one who gave us life to begin with. What if that was the story that we started out with? And how does that story square with what we see all around us? Just this week, we've seen multiple stories of, of how groups of people are pitted against one another because of skin color, because of economic instability, because of different viewpoints about how society should function. There is not a lot of unity right now. Unless you consider unity as just being in, a, in agreement with a small group of people who, who see things just the way you do. There's not a lot of unity. And where unity was the intent at the beginning, attitudes like racism and oppression uh, continue to have uh, us beating one another down. Obviously, the world around us isn't the way that we'd like it to be. I think we could all agree on that. And here we see in the book of Genesis that when the world was created, it was called good, good, right, a perfect place to live. But that didn't last too long because the first humans on the scene decided they wanted to take some shortcuts and not trust that God's plan was the right one. They decided that it would be better if, if they could take matters into their own hands and under the false promise that, that they would be just like God. But what that brought was, was discord and, and disorder, discord in, in marriage and in relationship between humanity and separation between them and God and, and discord in their work as all of a sudden they were taken out of the garden that God had given them to live and to work in and they were tossed into the wilderness where it would be increasingly hard to provide for themselves and their families. And all of humanity started working from a position of discord instead of unity. But that was not the end of the story. You see, God says there will be a way to enter back into fellowship and relationship with him. There will be a way to restore relationships. There will be a way to return to rest, a rest from the burdens of this world. And the first, steps, uh, the first step was for God to, to call a people back to himself, a people that he could separate out from the rest of the world, and, and they could be an example of what it means to follow the creator God and walk in his purpose. A nation that would be different and would live differently than the rest of the world. And God picks out a man named Abraham, and Abraham starts that work. Abraham walks with God as his righteous representative in the land, and his family is the start of a nation. But along the way, the descendants of Abraham find themselves enslaved to a powerful kingdom, uh, Egypt. And after 400 years, God pulls them out of that slavery and delivers them to a land that they can call their own. For a couple thousand years, God prepares the nation of Israel for the Messiah to come. One who would be able to make right that which had gone wrong. God gives them a law with commandments and decrees on how to live and, and be prosperous. 
He gives them a, a temple so that he has a place to dwell amongst them, the creator God right in the center of their daily lives. And he gives them a, a sacrificial system that will prepare them to approach a holy God. And living a life and, and being in a nation that follows God's plan and his purpose and ways allows them to experience blessing through obedience, but also teaches them that disobedience will lead to consequences that they just won't enjoy. And as a nation, they are to do this together. They're in it together. But if you read the, the rest of the Old Testament, which is the Holy Scripture for God's people and a recording of their history, you will see that they just couldn't follow through and missed out on some great plans that God had for them. They couldn't keep the law. The temple, the house of God, was treated with contempt, taken for granted. The sacrifices that would allow them to approach a holy God moved from an expression of, of worship from their hearts to a duty to be performed and, and lists to be checked off. God gave them kings when they wanted kings. And what happened, like most of those who, who come to power, power drives us to want more power. And most of those kings led the nation away from God. God sent them prophets to deliver the truth to bring encouragement and to redirect their lives back to him. And what did they do? They didn't want to hear the truth or it was too hard for their ears and their hearts to process. And so they, they rejected, they even killed the prophets. And as you read the Old Testament, you just have to think that, man, is there really any hope for this people? But yet God still had a plan to bring the Messiah out from this nation that he had called his own, one who would bless the whole world and bring about the restoration promises. And that brings us to Jesus. Who is Jesus to you? Think about it. Who is Jesus to you? Is he just a guy you learned about a long time ago, maybe through funny drawings and flannel boards at church? It was good back then when you were little, but here in the real world, he just doesn't have a place in, in your life. Maybe you see Jesus as that, that mystical guy amongst other mystical men who had some good teaching, but you don't even know if he was real. After all, the stories about him are 2,000 years old. I'm rational. I see the world around me in this Jesus. He's just a figment from the past, and we've moved beyond him. Probably. Many of you who are watching would say, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. He's the one who, who took my sin, the things that I've done wrong, so that I could have eternal life with God. We all have to reconcile our thoughts about Jesus. Love him or leave him, we all have to make the decision about whether we will trust him or not. And what do we do, what we do with Jesus, what we do with Jesus will determine our direction for the rest of our lives. Those who walked with Jesus and saw him day after day, every day, the ones that heard his teaching and, and saw what he did, they, they wrote that he lived a sinless life. He lived a perfect life, but he died a sinner's death. He was, he was cast out by those who didn't see him as the promised Messiah. He was cast out by those who had power and, and didn't want to give up their power. He was cast out by those who, who didn't see his message as the good news because they frankly liked the, the common people following their rules. They put him to death like a common criminal. The man who was going to bring about the redemption plan of God was put to death. But that wasn't the end of the story. While the people in power and the enemies of God celebrated in their victory, Jesus was busy working. And after going to the grave, taking our sins with him, he conquered death and rose again. The grave couldn't hold him. The man who lived a perfect life, the, the miracle-working man, the man who had the power to conquer death as well as the power to give others life, the man who God set, sent down as the Savior of the world, that man who had been given authority over all the world, 
did something that we would consider strange. He left. And we see this in the book of Acts in the first chapter. Jesus' last days walking on earth with his followers. The, the disciples at this point were amazed. They, they, they were pumped. The question on their minds was, Jesus, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel now? Is now the time? Is this where you rule and we get to be in that inner circle? What, what do you think, Jesus? And Jesus' response to them is, don't worry about the times. Don't get caught up on, in the planning. God the Father has all of this under control, and he's going to reveal it at his perfect timing. What I'm going to do, he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Your job is to tell other people the story. You, you saw me feeding people. Well, your job is to feed the people now. You saw me doing some healings. Well, your job is to be the agents of healing in your communities. And after he gives them that charge, he's lifted up to the heavens, out of their sight. And, and I can imagine them thinking, wait, 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 wait. You're the miracle worker. You're the teacher. We're excited to be part of this party, but Jesus, you're the man. You're the one who can get things done. We, we like following what you're doing, Jesus. Jesus says, it's going to be up to you. It's going to be you. It's, it's time for you to get to work now. You're, you're going to be equipped with the power, and I'm going to start this thing called the church, and it's going to be a, a gathering of my people, Jesus' people, people who will flood the earth with the message of salvation and redemption. Ed Cole, uh, who's a head of a, a men's um, ministry organization, he writes an interesting little narrative about Jesus ascending into heaven. Interesting little story here. He says, immediately Jesus went back to a room filled with angels who were waiting for, for him to appear. And Jesus made his appearance and he heard the angels praise him for completing his mission on earth. And, and then one of the angels asked Jesus what his plan was now as far as the people of earth were, were concerned. And Jesus explained to the angel that he had left instructions with a few good men to go and, and share the message of the kingdom of God to all the nations of the earth. The angel was somewhat amazed, looked at Jesus and, and asked uh, if he really believed he could trust men to do that. What if, what if they failed? Jesus answered confidently and said, I have no other plan. Church, church, we are the plan. The church is the plan, folks, and, and it was birthed on Pentecost. The book of Acts goes further and tells us that there were about 120 followers of Jesus at that point, and Jesus had told them to wait for the Spirit, and so they were all gathered together when, when a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came, came from the heavens and, and filled the whole house where they were staying. They, they saw tongues like flames of fire that was separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enables them. Pentecost is an important day for the church. It's, it's our birthday. Happy birthday, church. But did you know also that the nation of Israel had, had already been celebrating Pentecost? Pentecost was on the Feast of Weeks, a Jewish holiday. It was, it was 50 days after the Passover. Passover celebrated God delivering them from slavery in Egypt, and Pentecost coincided with the, the time that, that God had given them the, the Old Covenant on Mount Sinai, the delivering of the law, the sealing of His people. Jews from all over the world would come in for the Feast of Weeks. It, it was a time of celebration, and the number of people in Jerusalem could swell to well over 100,000 people, which was huge at the time. One of the best attended festivals of the day, uh, people from all over the place, all over the world gathered to take part. And, and here, the church bursts forth, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to all of these people in all of their own languages. And the response of the people was amazement, and, and they wondered, what did this mean? 
And then Peter, remember, foot-in-the-mouth disciple, he, he got up filled with the Spirit and gave a testimony of who Jesus was, how he was the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament. And when the people responded and said, the people responded, they said, what should we do? And Peter tells them, now is the time to repent and turn to Jesus as the Savior of the world. What a time for God to bring about the church at a celebration of life and a, co- uh, a celebration of the covenant with God. Right, right in the middle of that, God brings forth uh, a new life, a harvest literally, literally sprouting out all over, all around them. Over 3,000 people proclaim Jesus as their Savior and receive the Holy Spirit themselves that day. And a movement was set in motion that would change the world forever. And they got to it right away. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Think about it. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus, and immediately they get together and commit themselves to a course of action that will change their own walk with the Lord, and that will change how their families operate. It'll change how they interact with friends and neighbors, and that will impact how they will live and work in their communities. Luke, the, the author of Acts, uses the word, devoted to describe this new commitment devoted one commentary said they basically super glued themselves together around these things they had a super strong bound and immediately it revolved around a few things first they devoted themselves to the the teaching of the apostles these guys were the frontline guys they had walked with jesus throughout his whole ministry they had front row seat to his teaching to his miracles and and jesus his, his revelation that was a lot of times hidden from other people. Jesus had worked with these guys for three years, connecting the dots between the work that he was doing uh, with the Old Testament promises that they had been waiting for. And so the people naturally gathered around those who could give full testimony about who Jesus was and what his message w- meant for them. They devoted themselves to growing uh, in the truth of the gospel message. The, the first group also gathered as a church, and they devoted themselves to the fellowship, it says. They were devoted to one another. They began to see the need to be connected to the rest of the body of Christ. When the apostles speak of the gifts of the Spirit in, in the Scriptures, they are saying that every single person ha- who's, who's accepted Christ as their Savior has been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit. And those gifts aren't meant to work just on their own. It's, it's each person working together to, to accomplish God's will and bring about kingdom change to the world. The, the early church knew that they were better off together than they were alone. So they devoted themselves to, to serving, to, to loving, to accepting, to teaching, to encouraging, to honoring, correcting, forgiving, and praying for one another. Part of that included breaking of bread where they would share meals in homes. They would also take part in communion. And they were devoted to remembering what Christ had done for them, the, his, his broken body and the blood that he had shed. And I, I mentioned just a second ago that they devoted themselves to, to prayer, a reliance on God as a body, as the body of Christ. And Luke fleshes out what the results looked like because of this newfound devotion. 42, Acts 2, 43 through 47 says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as all had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. 
this piece right there, this piece weighs a little heavy on me right now, maybe weighs a little heavy on you as well, because there are certain expectations of what it means to, to be the church or to do church. We read about what the, the early church did, and some are going to say, see, this is our God-given right and responsibility we have to meet. The Bible says we need to meet, so why have we not been meeting? And this is a question that church leaders from all over the country have been wrestling with for, for the last few months. In fact, the FBC elders are getting together again this week to pray over and talk about our plans post-social distancing. Uh, please keep praying for that leadership board. Like every other church, we are receiving opinions and, and comments from all over our community. Uh, we've heard from people telling us that, that the, the church should never close the door, their doors. It should never close doors. We've heard from other people that it's, it's been long enough now, and now it's time to, to open up those doors again. We've got others who are saying, let's not be too hasty. Let's not open yet because we don't want our large gathering to be the start of, of spreading the virus. And it takes prayer and wisdom to walk down the right path for, for each local body, each local fellowship. I'm excited. Uh, New Hampshire representatives working with the churches have put together a set of guidelines for, for opening up buildings now. Uh, the go-ahead is starting to be given, and we're excited about that. I can't wait to get with the elders and pray and, and decide what that means for us. What we've been working under is what I would call the, the state farm model. Like a good neighbor, Faith Bible is there. Acts tells us that the, the church's early actions weren't solely for the benefit of that fledgling little group. The Spirit was moving in them for an impact that would go far beyond the lives of those early Christians. Acts 2, 46 and 47 say this, They, they ate their food with joy and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved, enjoying the favor of all the people. This is the part where we may need to sit for a little while. Their actions were so radical that they got the attention of the people walking around their neighborhoods. And here we are 2,000 years later and the mission is still the same, to live in radical ways that will transform our communities. That's one of the main principles that's been driving our, our decision making. In this current health crisis, what will allow us to be the best witnesses, be the best neighbors in our community? And the actions of the church were such that they, they, they stuck to, to solid instruction and direction from the apostles. They, they formed a community that all were welcome to, all could contribute, and, and they started doing some things that were radically different than, than how the rest of the world acts. Their witness was not one built on judgment or condemnation of the world, but an invitation into this new movement. And because of the radical changes they were making in their own lives, the outside world saw it, they were drawn to it, and they wanted to embrace it for themselves. The kingdom of God was appealing to those who walked around that small circle of Jesus' followers. The start of the church caused a people to look outside their own interest and focus on the interest of uh, of other people and the needs of other people and those who were living in chaos and despair, they, they saw a community based on hope. Those who were living in poverty and desperation saw a community that was willing to share so that everyone's needs were met. Those who had been told that the gods didn't love them but whose appeasement was found in, in them acting just right saw a God who gave up everything for the world that he had created. The church grew and kept on moving forward, and we've got a good track record to, to keep building upon. Now, throughout, throughout time, there, there's been ups and downs. Uh, throughout time, there's been ups and downs through the history of the church. There, there are times when we've taken steps backwards, usually because of a desire for, for power or, or privilege. 
But the work of the church is one of movement and forward momentum, bringing the light of the gospel and serving our communities by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't forget the work of the Holy Spirit. After all, it was the, the coming of the Holy Spirit that allowed this community, this unity, this, this church to grow out of a, a ragtag group of Jesus followers huddled together by themselves in, in, in a little room. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, the church continues on with the mission of changing the world around us for God's glory and for His kingdom. When the, when the Spirit moved on that group of followers that day, God didn't provide them with political power to change the laws of society. Their, their hope wasn't placed in, in the power to vote or, or having the right people in the highest positions in government. They weren't going to change the world by campaigns and, and rallies. They looked at the world, uh, they looked at the world around them, and, and they said they were going to live differently. And so when they saw that, that women and children often were unprotected, they, they said, we're going we're gonna to do something about that. They called on Christian men to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to sacrifice and protect and provide for their families. The early church saved many abandoned babies and, and their homes became the, the first orphanages and the, the first centers of, of foster care. They turned their homes into the first hospitals and, and mental health facilities because of the great physical needs that they saw all around them. And sometimes, just like now, sometimes they closed down their big gatherings and focused on getting the church into the streets because people needed to experience the hands and feet of Jesus moving through their communities more than they needed to see people singing and learning in, in big buildings. When they saw that many needs were being unmet because the government didn't have social services to lift up its citizens, the church took on the task and cared for one another. And because of their love for Christ, that, that care spilled into the communities around them, and they took care of people who weren't even part of the church. And during the centuries to follow, you see a church that says, you don't want those babies. We will take them. We will take them. We would rather sacrifice our resources than see lives destroyed. You don't want to take care of the sick or the outcast. Let us take the lead in that because God loves all of humanity, and, and the outcast and the downtrodden are, are precious in his sight. Slavery, yeah, we need to do something about that. Racism, yes, we need to do something about that. All men and women are created in God's image. If you want to get a fuller glimpse of how the church has helped to transform the world, I'd encourage you to dive into a resource like How Christianity Changed the World by Alvin Schmidt or find another resource like that. All this happened because the Spirit of God moves in a people that he has called his church. This is not just something for us to, to read about. This is something for us to experience. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is, is working through your life in a real way? When Jesus says that, that we are going to be his witnesses in the world, he's saying that we are going to give testimony about the work that he has done in our lives. And in order to have a testimony, you have to have had an experience. No one is going to call you into a court to sit on the stand and give testimony about something that you have no earthly idea about. If you receive the gift of salvation from Jesus, then you have a testimony. Church, God has a great work for you. He's done a great work in your life. Can you provide testimony of that? Tell you what, 
The government regulations have really helped define and, and bring in who our audience is. The, the travel restrictions that have led us back to our own hometowns, our own Jerusalems, if you will. Take hold of this opportunity to find those people in your own local Jerusalem who need some Holy Spirit-empowered encouragement, Holy Spirit-empowered love. This last verse in chapter 2 is a powerful challenge for us to keep seeking guidance by the Holy Spirit so that we can see lives changed. Pentecost was a celebration of harvests, and on the Pentecost celebration where God birthed the church, there, there was a rich and a full kingdom harvest, and the harvest continues on to this day. Will you get out in the fields to work? God may be using this time to tell us that we've been relying on structure and organization, on preference and performance over mission and movement. He may be rebooting us for a greater movement that is going to spread throughout this land a movement where the Lord will be adding to his kingdom each and every day new people who are being saved. But it takes a church that is motivated and mobilized and led by the Holy Spirit towards that purpose and that end. Well, church, there, there is no better time, no better place to start. We start here in the present. We start where we are. We start in our neighborhoods where we are. We start in this time, in this place. We ask God to give us the strength and the wisdom to, to walk out into the fields, the fields that are ripe for harvest. And we ask him for the strength and the wisdom and the boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the boldness to show them the, the absolute love of Christ that they so desperately need, to show them the hope that they need. Now is the time and the place for us, church. Now is the time and the place. And we have to go to God asking him to give us the strength to, to do that because this is this is holy spirit empowered work this is this is work that can only be done through the spirit are you filled with the spirit we as believers have been sealed by the spirit and he has come to reside in us because we are the new temple we are the temple of god but we we constantly need to to seek to be filled by the spirit so that we can go on producing those good works that only he can bring forth we can't do it on our own we have to rely on the Spirit, the Spirit of God, to lead us and direct us. And so we must be vigilant in our, our prayer and our study and in, 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 in fellowship and encouragement with one another and pushing each other forward, challenging each, forward to, to, each other to, to move forward in this. Lord, we do come to you and we do understand that this is a great work. This is a mighty work. This is a noble work. This is a, a work that you've given the church right here and right now. Even in the midst of crisis, we continue to work. And Lord, more than ever, we need the boldness to preach your, your gospel, boldness to go into those fields and, and collect a harvest. Lord, we know that uh, your work is the work that lasts, and so we ask for your Spirit to fill us, fill us completely, so that we're overflowing with your love, your grace, your patience, your power, Lord. Lord, we ask that we would be the, change, the, the agents of change in, in our communities. We ask your blessing upon that. And we come because we, we can come together because of, of Christ, because of Jesus and his, his powerful name. So we do, we come proclaiming Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for who you are and, and how you continue to bless us and work in our lives. And we come in your name. Amen.